Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I'm excited for listeners to have a look at the long and winding road of my guest's inspiring journey. By the age of seven, he'd lived on three separate continents, ending up in America with his family with no money, not speaking English. What he and his family did bring with them were big dreams. Dreams that helped him push through the hard studies and long hours of work whenever he wasn't in school to become the first in his family to graduate college, finish law school, and find success as a lawyer that's meaningful to him and his family. As a lawyer, he worked his way up the ranks from small firm to a bigger top 100 law firm in New York City, and now a partner at Warshaw Bernstein. He specializes in commercial and real estate litigation and has litigated some of the most complex cases. He's written extensively and been quoted many times in the New York Times and other publications. He practices what he preaches and served as president of his building's condo board and the Riverside South Park Owners Association, which is responsible for maintaining the park that runs along the Hudson River from West 59th to 72nd Streets. I am ecstatic to welcome a 45-plus-year fan of the New York Yankees and Giants, Slava Hazen. Slava, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thank you very much. I'm so delighted to be on your show. I look forward to sharing my experiences with your audience. Uh, I just want to say last night's game, Yankees-Mets, amazing finish. <laughs> I love it. Go New York. So I'm really eager for folks just to appreciate, you know, the different cultures and countries that you've grown up in and, and you've experienced. And, you know, it's a it's just a journey of one immigrant family. And I think there's a lot for people to learn and to appreciate. Well, thank you very much. I was born in Russia in 1966, lived there for about six years. My family, uh, we emigrated. Long journey, uh, finally get to the United States. A lot of travels along the way. We wound up in Austria for a while, spent a couple of months in, uh, in Italy, just outside of Rome in a um, relocation camp uh, for, um, for Soviet emigres. Eventually uh, made it to Israel, uh, the only country that really uh, accepts without uh, any condition Jews from around the world. Spent about nine or 10 months in Israel. War broke out, 1973, uh, Yom Kippur War. Not a good time to be in Israel, and we could talk about those experiences. But uh, in 74, uh, we arrived in, uh, in New York. My family, I have an older brother who's nine years older than me. My mother and father uh, basically came here with not much left after all our travels. I had to start anew um, in this country. So Slava, so there's a lot there. And before we get to the start of what I think has been the American dream for you, I, you know, I've never been to Russia. Um, and so I, I, I know you're young, but if you could just recall, did you live in a city? Were you in rural? Just help us a little bit about life. And, you know, I, I don't know how your parents messaged you, hey, we're leaving now and we're escaping. So I'd really appreciate just some of the dynamics and what you can recall of those experiences. Well, um, we lived in uh, Moscow, 
um, my experiences uh, in Russia are, you know, have faded over the years. I mean, it was so long ago. Uh, a lot of those memories are uh, really based on photographs that uh, uh, my parents were able to, uh, to take with them. Uh, we lived in a um, uh, nice apartment building, a co-op apartment building uh, in Moscow. One of my fondest recollections is, is a photograph of uh, my brother and me outside my building when I was young. I recall that uh, my father had a car and he would let me drive it uh, by putting me on his lap and letting me steer. One of the uh, oldest memories I have, going on vacation with the family. But it's hard to remember really things when you're you know, six years old. I do remember that uh, there was a time that uh, my parents uh, told me that we would have to leave. It was on short notice. Uh, couldn't really talk about it, discuss it with anyone. And next thing I know is that we left. Scary, not scary, or just with your parents thinking this is sort of normal, not normal? What was that? Did you feel that it was a scary thing or you're just... Just you, did you understand it at all, or did they say we're we're leaving forever? I'm just curious what they told you. Well, uh, it's hard to remember what I was told or not told. Probably not much. And you know, as a six year old, you probably uh, don't want to say too much. I do remember that I wasn't allowed to uh, to discuss it with anyone, you know, including the friends that I had back then. Uh, it was sort of like an adventure. I mean, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know any better what was going on. Next thing I know is that uh, I'm in a different country and traveling around. And it all seemed to a six-year-old interesting and exciting. You know, only in hindsight that uh, it dawned on me the kind of uh, risks that my parents and the sacrifices they made to, to get us out of, uh, out of Russia in 1973. There was uh, really a short window of opportunity um, to get out of Russia, and they took it, going uh, outside the country, uh, really unknown. Uh, so, uh, I mean, for me, it seemed like an exciting time for them. It must have been, you know, absolutely scary. Yeah, yeah. So the other cultures, language-wise, you know, the, the stints, was that something you picked up some languages in a short amount of time? Well, we wound up in Italy for a couple of months, and unfortunately, I did not learn enough Italian. Most of the Italian I've learned after the fact, you know, having uh, traveled to Italy, and uh, I love Italian food, Italian wine, Italian cars. I didn't really get to learn Italian. We wound up in Israel. I was about uh, six years old. Um, we settled in a city called Netanya, which at that time was uh, really sort of you know, a backwater of sorts, uh, not like the, uh, the city that it is now. And, you know, we visited Israel about 10 years ago, drove past Natania. I did not recognize it at all. It's just a different city. I mean, uh, it has developed in the decades since uh, we left. But um, I did, uh, I started school in, uh, in Israel. Um, I picked up Hebrew. We had the intention to stay in Israel to settle in Israel. Unfortunately, the war disrupted all of that. Uh, and then we left Israel, wound up in the United States where I started school 
started to learn English. I never spoke English before, never heard it before. Uh, and as I learned English, unfortunately, I lost Hebrew, uh, a language that I had picked up. And uh, I never went to, uh, to school in Russia, but I was able to uh, keep um, at least conversational Russian by, uh, by speaking the language uh, with, uh, with my family and uh, you know, the friends that, uh, that, we, um, that we had here. But my first language is obviously English. Uh, my second language is legalese. My third language is conversational Russian, and uh, I still have a couple of uh, uh, a couple of Hebrew words I and I will throw in every once in a while, and also Yiddish, the language uh, spoken by my parents and my brother. That's very important growing up in New York City. Yeah. So uh, take us to the to New York City part. So talk to us about being in the land of the free here. Well, we arrived in uh, New York City in 1974. We um, settled um, initially in Philadelphia. That was temporary. Um, and then uh, we went back to New York City and uh, um, lived in Brooklyn. I started school uh, in Brooklyn, uh, third grade. Um, but I spent most of my time and I really grew up in Queens. We moved to, uh, to Rigo Park. And uh, that's where I went to school, uh, grade school, uh, middle school, and high school. And we remember school, fun, was fun loving, lots of immigrants. Do you feel like you fit in? Yeah, school was great. Um, some, you know, one of my best friends uh, I got to know in the fourth grade. We're still great friends, uh, even though he's a Mets fan and I'm a Yankees fan. Um, school was fantastic. Uh, and Queens, uh, was just a great place to grow up. Uh, Queens is, um, there are about 180 languages that are spoken in Queens and it, it's truly the, uh, the United Nations, uh, of the world. And, um, I went to school with, uh, with almost everyone and no one really cared because, you know, we're all in the same place and, uh, it's just a great place to, uh, to grow up. Um, just a trivia question, uh, Rego Park, uh, uh, the name comes from, um, you know, uh, R-E is real and, and the G-O stands for good. It's a really good place to, uh, to grow up. Oh, that's fantastic. I had no idea. Crazy. Fun fact. Very fun fact. So what, so talk about the family's professions. What would your dad do for a living, your mom? Well, my dad um, was a supervisor of uh, fur factories back in uh, back in Russia, uh, and uh, my mom was a homemaker. Uh, when we arrived here, um, we, uh, my dad uh, started um, a few businesses. Um, one of them was a dry cleaning business in uh, in Brooklyn. Didn't do very well. Um, we wound up getting uh, a, um, a lease on a store on the Lower East Side on Delancey Street. The, uh, the store was, uh, it was basically a, a long hallway. In fact, I still remember the address. It was 127 and a half Orchard Street. The half is because it was basically a hallway. And uh, it was part of a, um, uh, a bigger um, uh, store that was next door to us. And uh, we sold sportswear jeans and everyone um, had to work in the family business uh, uh, to pay the bills. Um, 
was long work. Um, I was obviously in school, but I did uh, work uh, when I could, uh, weekends and summers. Uh, and eventually uh, we went into a different business. Uh, my father and my brother went into a different business, uh, retail uh, gas stations and body shops. And from there, um, they went on to, uh, to buy real estate and uh, went into the real estate business and became very successful uh, doing that. Wow. Do you, do you recall, was it stressful? It was at a time of, we'll, we will have enough money, we won't have enough money? Uh... Well, we always, um, we're always together and that was the best part. I mean, we knew that at the end of the day, we were gonna make it because uh, we all pitched in, we're doing this together. And obviously um, there were stressful times for my parents. Uh, I didn't know all of it, obviously, uh, because you don't want uh, the kids to uh, to stress out. Uh, but um, yeah, there were some tough times. Um, I mean, when we first arrived uh, in uh, in Queens, we I remember we rented an apartment. Um, it was in uh, in Elmhurst, and uh, the the first mattress uh, that we slept on that I slept on, at least, I think uh, we got it in a, uh, in a sale uh, on the sidewalk. Um, so yeah, there were some, there were some tough times. Yeah. How has that, um, you know, where you come from, I think you strike me as the, don't forget where you come from. How do you think your, your early journey has shaped you now? It developed my work ethic that uh, if you want to succeed, you have to work hard, you have to make sacrifices, that they're going to be tough times. But um, if you do it together, especially as a family, um, you can succeed. And one of the um, values that my parents instilled in me from an early age was the value of education, that no matter what, um, I had to go to school, um, I had to get an education, uh, they were going to send me to college something that they never, um, they never did. Uh, my brother um, went to school here, but uh, um, had to work in the family business. So he was never able to, uh, to finish school or, or go on to college. Um, so uh, the, the importance of, um, of hard work and especially education as uh, a ladder to move up um, in, uh, in the world. So you uh, are very, I can tell the law has really landed for you. How did you find your way to that? And, you know, I'm wondering, did you have mentors about um, life after school or just go to school and then find a college? I'm just wondering, because, you know, when your parents are immigrants, they don't necessarily have a, they're not clued into how the whole college thing works. So I'm wondering how you navigated. Well, um, from an early age, uh, I was uh, exposed to, uh, or uh, was in the family business, uh, so to speak. And I was able, uh, my parents uh, introduced me to, uh, to attorneys, um, going to closings with them. Uh, I met attorneys, uh, I became interested in what, uh, in what they did and the kind of work they did. And uh, it was fascinating to me. Uh, in high school, uh, Forest Hills High School, which um, at the time, I think was one of the best high schools. And that was all my parents could afford. Uh, you know, they couldn't, uh, I don't, I don't even know if they knew about private schools and certainly couldn't afford it, but Forest Hills High School uh, was amazing. There was a, uh, um, an honors law program. 
that uh, I was enrolled in. Uh, there were some courses, um, uh, law courses that I took. Uh, it, um, it really sparked my interest uh, in law. Uh, and um, I made a decision early on in life that uh, I was going to study, become a lawyer. And that's what I did. That is phenomenal. That's so great that that landed for you. I took one international law class in business school, and I have said to many friends that I could not have come out of law school because I can't read that much and stay awake. I have, I just, I can't. It's just, it's a very intensive program where you have to read a lot. And I am curious, what what drew you? What about it was, if you can recall, was so interesting? And then, what do you think makes a great lawyer? Hmm, two-part question. What makes it interesting is that um, um, I believe the role of a lawyer is to, is to help people, uh, is to help people to, uh, to solve their problems, whether it's a, it's a transaction, whether it's a litigation matter, which is uh, what I do. I'm a litigator. Uh, the role of the attorney is to, uh, is to give voice to those really without a voice and to um, uh, to help them to resolve uh, their issues the best uh, the best way you can, so uh, that's uh, that's what drew me to the law. Um, that's that's why I became interested in the law. Uh, it was fascinating along the way. I have um, been very fortunate uh, to to work with uh, lawyers who've been mentors to me, who helped me develop uh, into the lawyer that uh, that I have become. I've been uh, practicing law now for thirty years. And uh, without the, uh, the mentorship, um, it just would not have been possible. Yeah. And what, uh, what, what makes for a great lawyer in your eyes? A lawyer who uh, understands uh, people's problems, uh, a lawyer who's able to, to offer uh, creative solutions, uh, a lawyer who's able to uh, to guide clients to the best possible outcome. Uh, it's not always possible. Uh, you have to uh, give clients uh, the um, um, you have to weigh the uh, the different choices uh, and uh, advise them on uh, what you think uh, is the best possible outcome and, and try to make that happen. Yeah very different lens. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know a lot about the law, Pete. This it's, strikes me as a lot of process, uh, adherence. You have to be very, um, think in a very logical way. You have to be practical. Um, you have to, first of all, understand the client's problem. You have to know the, uh, the law, how to apply it and, uh, give the client, uh, advice on the best way to uh, to achieve uh, the client's goals i mean sometimes uh, it may not be possible but uh that's where the the creativity part of uh, the practice of law comes in it's not always black and white uh there are always gray areas and and that's where you try to get the most for for your clients yeah that's that's great so was school easy for you were you like kind of a smarter kid school is pretty easy did you have to work hard 
Well, at first it was difficult because of um, the language barrier, but uh, I think I caught on pretty quickly. Uh, I enjoyed school. Um, I loved going to uh, the school, uh, elementary school, PS 139. I'll give them a shout out. <laughs> uh, Russell Sage Junior High School, and I had uh, great times there and Forest Hills High School. Uh, four years uh, it was a wonderful experience. I really excelled um, in, uh, in my studies. Um, in um, 1984, I started Vassar College in, uh, in Poughkeepsie. Uh, had four uh, very good, fun years there. I spent a year abroad uh, in London at the London School of Economics. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, went to law school. Um, I graduated college uh, with honors. Uh, I made it uh, through uh, law school in two and a half years by doing uh, summer school. I graded on to a uh, law review. Um, only the top 10% of the class gets, it, uh, gets uh, to be invited to join law review. I was an associate uh, editor, uh, graduated on the top of my class in law school. Uh, so yes, um, education uh, has been very important and very good to me and in, in my development. Your parents must have been beaming with pride just kind of watching you go through this and, and coming out of law school. Absolutely. And, and their support uh, and encouragement uh, um, uh, was invaluable to, my, to the progress that I've made. Do you remember having arguments at home? Was, was there fighting? Like, I don't like kids, sometimes you hear of teenagers, the parents are constantly trying to discipline them or what have you. What was the dynamic with your parents? Well, my parents worked, uh, you know, long hours and my brother worked long hours. So um, for, you know, most of my childhood, I was, uh, uh, you know, a latchkey kid. I had a key. I would uh, go to the apartment, uh, do my homework, uh, watch a little television, you know, make my own dinner. So um, it wasn't that kind of interaction. I mean, uh, you know, uh there's no family that's perfect. Obviously, we've had disagreements over the uh, over the years, but uh, the most important thing really is uh, um, we stuck uh, we stuck it out together, and we went through some of the worst times and uh, enjoyed some of the best times uh, as a family. Yeah, that's amazing. Did I know you're a huge sports fan now? Did you play any sports as a kid? <laughs> uh, in grade school, uh, as my one of my best friends, Rob, uh, who's uh, an athlete, encouraged me uh, to play um, baseball and play some football. But uh, no, I was not an athlete. Uh, I think I was meant for uh, for a life of, uh, of um, academics and uh, not certainly not an athlete. But Having said all that, um, for the last um, 25 years or so, 30 years, uh, I work out on a pretty frequent basis, uh, thanks to my wife, uh, who's encouraged me. Um, uh, I do enjoy sports, uh, mostly watching them. Uh, I've been a Yankees fan since uh, uh, they went to the World Series in 1976, uh, through uh, all those years in the 70s. I'm a huge Giants fan, thanks to my friend Rob. Uh, who's one of the uh, most um, ardent Giants fans that I know. Uh, he lives in Los Angeles now, but uh, he never uh, misses a Giants game or, or a Mets game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do love sports. Uh, I do love uh, working out. Yeah, that's great. 
The um, so talk a little bit about family and meeting your wife and you know working through and balancing, you know moving through your law career. Your career development might be interesting for some people to hear how you moved uh, and advanced professionally. Well, I met my wife in college. That's one of the best things um, uh, about Vassar College. Uh, I met my wife. Uh, we got married after college. I started law school. Um, she was working at the time. Uh, and then she went to law school while I started uh, uh, working as a lawyer. Uh, and uh, both of us uh, um, then became lawyers, uh, um, me a litigator, and she was a corporate attorney. Um, along the way, we've had uh, two beautiful uh, kids. Um, both of them uh, graduated uh, from college. My son went to Vassar College, where uh, my wife and I went. Uh, my daughter just finished Bates College. Um, it's a tough balance uh, you uh, between uh, work and family, but uh, you know we um, we made it work. It's it's not easy. The time commitments, but uh, the most important thing uh, to both of us, like it was uh, with me, is uh, is family. Yeah. How did you uh, help the the your kids appreciate? your families, you know, how they moved around and, you know, created the opportunity that they have. Is that someone you've talked, something you've talked a lot about? Do they, are they full in and understand the whole story? Well, yes. Uh, and uh, they've been fortunate um, to, uh, to spend time with, uh, with my parents, uh, with my brother uh, and uh, hearing the, uh, um, the stories of our travels and, uh, and journeys and appreciate uh, what we went through. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it was important uh, for me that, uh, that my kids understand um, where I came from and uh, what I stand for. Yeah. You know, it strikes me that you, you know, in Rigo Park, you, you had a, just a melting pot of the world. You, you strike me as, you know, very solid um, in, in being able to articulate your views and all. And I'm curious if you look at the world now where perhaps people aren't getting along the way they did when you grew up, what are some of your thoughts? That's, uh, that's an open question. Um, my childhood in hindsight uh, is a lot better than the world we live in today. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of things that, uh, that, uh, that are different now than they were uh, then. And um it's, if there's any particular issue you want to talk about specifically, I'm happy to do so. Well, I think just the, you know, I, I think I've had folks on the show um, just to share African-American experience, Asians experience. My sense is this need to have greater just understanding. And there's a lot of, you know, you can't help someone you don't know. And you can't know someone until you, you, you hear about their journey. And so I appreciate you sharing yours, Slava. Um, but I, you know, I, in the workplace, you know, you're in this corporate law environment and I'm just wondering what, what do you see that, um, people, regular people could do? I think it's easy to think, ah, oh, this is just the way it is, you know, those people out there and, you know, that's, I, I get it, but it's not a very empowering way to go. And I, I just, I'm really keen for people to think about like, what can we all do to, I think we can talk to each other, um, more often. Uh, spend less time uh, watching television, 
and, and in the internet and, uh, and talk to people and get to know them. Um, when uh, you spend time with someone and you find out about uh, where that person came from and, and their struggles and what they, they've done to overcome them, I think you begin to understand that uh, we, we have common problems, all of us, and uh, you know, try, to, try to talk things out instead of label people Instead of uh, instead of assuming what that person uh, thinks or believe or uh, believes, talk to the person. Find out uh, find out more about them. See if they, see see if you have uh, things in common with them and and talk it out. Yeah, I can imagine in a law. Again, I haven't. I know lawyers, but I haven't been in practicing in law firms. But I can imagine that in any company setting, it's easy sometimes to feel misunderstood um, or for people to get a, a perception of you that you might not think is really you. Has that happened to you? I'm not really sure. And to be absolutely frank, uh, not something that I was really concerned about. Um, I mean, I've always tried to do my best. Um, when it comes to uh, to work, obviously, uh, you know, it's very important to, uh, especially with clients. I mean, uh, the whole purpose of being a lawyer is to is to service your clients. So, I mean, perceptions, yes, sometimes they become reality, but just go out there and do your best. That's great that you can fight that through. Now, I know a lot of your your work is very attorney client confidential, but at a um, higher level. Can you share with, so listeners understand like the life of a litigator, what are some of the things that you're doing? What's hard about them and just give them a, a sense of what it is you really do for work. Well, I'm, um, I do a commercial and real estate litigation at uh, Warshaw Burstein. Uh, it's a mid, uh, mid-sized Manhattan law firm. Uh, we have about uh, 50 attorneys or so. Uh, it's very diverse law firm in terms of practices uh, there's litigation, real estate, commercial, trust in the states, uh, immigration, uh, corporate. Uh, what I do on a day-to-day basis uh, as a litigator, it's, it's tough because uh, as a litigator, um, it's very hard to control the situation. Uh, I'll give you an example. For example, in a real estate or, in tra- or a corporate transaction, there are two parties um, to the transaction. In litigation, you're dealing with three parties. It's you, it's your adversary, and the courts. And it's very difficult uh, to, to plan things out because you're not in control of the situation. Uh, the other side could uh, start a lawsuit, file a motion. Um, the court can schedule a conference. So your, your time is really not your own. You can't control your calendar. You can't control what your adversary is doing, and you certainly can't control or predict uh, what courts are going to do. So, yeah, being a litigator is a is a very stressful um, job. Um, it's it's time consuming. Uh, it's difficult, but it's also highly rewarding uh, when you're able to um, to solve your client's problem. When you're able to come up with a with a creative solution. When you're able to to do something that uh, maybe no one else uh, could could have done. Nice. So, uh, were your kids influenced? Is anyone going into law in the family? 
Um, yes and no, but maybe not uh, not anytime soon. Uh, my son is uh, um, uh, works for a uh, large uh, media company. Has absolutely no interest in in the law, going to law school, and I, I wouldn't inflict that upon him. Uh, my daughter's um, she uh, graduated with um, with a BA in politics and education. Uh, and eventually may wind up in law school, but uh, it's her decision, um, whatever she wants to do. Hmm. So um, getting back to the, the coming through as an uh, immigrant, I am wondering, you know, your thoughts on immigration. It's very political. I'm not asking for a solution, you know, but having had a very personal experience um, the way you did, I'm just wondering any thoughts you might share with listeners um, about America as a place for immigrants and what we can do as a country um, to preserve that, I think, really amazing part of, uh, of who we are. Well, first of all, I mean, this, this is a country that was built on immigrants. It's the only country in the world uh, uh, that, uh, that has that honor. Um, everyone in the world um, uh, has uh, has come to America at one point or another. So it's a country of immigrants, but it's also a country of laws and the rule of law, especially to an attorney is, is very important. So the two have to be reconciled. You need, the, uh, as a country, you need immigrants. Uh, immigrants bring certain uh, vibrancy. Um, immigrants are probably the hardest working uh, people you will find. Uh, they create businesses. Uh, they're very creative, uh, innovative. Uh, you need uh, you need immigration. You need immigration for the economy, uh, but you also need to enforce uh, laws. Um, and what I hope is that at some point, this country, um, the leaders, uh, both parties, have an honest conversation about uh, immigration, about uh, reforming the laws that we have on the books about what to do with the millions of people who are here, either legally or illegally or otherwise. Um, there needs to be an honest dialogue about uh, immigration in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Slava. Uh, let's shift gears because I really value how you have taken your professional expertise and you really walk the walk. Uh, so I know you're president of your condo board, which is, can be considered quite a thankless task. So I'd love to just hear a bit about how that evolved. Um, and, you know, without throwing anyone under the bus, I could imagine there's some very lively stories about <laughs> keeping the peace and doing the right thing for as, as many of the folks in the building that you can. Well, um, uh, this story goes back about 14 or 15 years ago. We were living in uh, an apartment on the east side and uh, two small children. And um, eventually the apartment really became too small for us and we needed to find uh, a new apartment. Uh, my wife uh, was scouring the ads and found um, uh, an ad for a, a brand new development on the far, far west side of Manhattan um, along Riverside Boulevard, which uh, I never really heard of. So we took a trip, uh, loaded the kids in the car. We took a trip uh, all the way across Manhattan to the other side. 
uh, Riverside Boulevard uh, to look at a brand new building. Uh, in fact, it was uh, still under construction, so we couldn't actually go into the building. But there was a sales office that had uh, the kitchen, the model kitchen and the model bathroom. And uh, we fell in love with, um, with the building. Uh, eventually got a tour, had to wear hard hats because the building was still under construction. In fact, uh, only about half of Riverside Boulevard, this was back in uh, 2007, was built at that point. Uh, construction started in uh, the 1990s and from about 72nd Street, then it went down to 66th Street, Riverside Boulevard. The building that uh, the Avery, um, where we moved and been living uh, since, uh, no, for the last 14 years or so, was built in uh, 2006, 2007. So the building was still under construction. We had to wear hard hats uh, in order to. Um, uh, to get inside the building and look at it. Uh, we fell in love with the building. Uh, we moved in early 2008. Um, and uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to be a part of uh, this new community. And the best way to do that is uh, to run for the board, uh, which I did. Uh, there were a couple other candidates, uh, including my friend Andrew. Uh, both of us were elected uh, that year, I believe it was 2009. Um, at first, the board, uh, there was a five-member board. Um, the three sponsor members from uh, Excel Development were on the board, uh, and there's two, uh, two of us, the owners. Um, yes, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, it, sometimes it seems like a thankless job, and there's a lot of uh, time and effort uh, that goes into uh, being on the board, especially being the president of the board. But like the law, there's a rewarding part of it that you know that uh, you're doing your best. Um, you try to reach a resolution of the problems and uh, um, that come up, inevitably come up when you have communal living. And to see that, uh, that, it's, uh, that it's done right. And you know that you're doing it uh, you know, uh, for, the best, uh, for the best reasons that you just want people to have a, uh, a nice place to live uh, and, uh, and a community, create a community of, uh, of neighbors, not just, um, not just people living in a, in a high rise, but to actually create a community where people uh, want to be with each other. They want to spend time with each other. And early on, um, I, I wanted to have um, building wide events. Uh, I wanted to have, um, uh, for example, holiday parties. Uh, which we've had every year, uh, except for the pandemic for the last couple of years, for people to get together, to get to know each other, because uh, neighbors who know each other are going to be nice to each other, and they're going to be less problems, and they're going to have a better time uh, living in the building um, by doing it that way. Neighbors who know each other are nicer to each other. Wow, that is maybe the quote of the day. Uh, that's wonderful that you have been so proactive uh, and to start right at the beginning with the building. I am wondering, you know, because people are people, what have you learned? What have been surprising about people, I guess, um, that you might have learned in this experience? Well, I deal with uh, different people every day, not only in my job, but also um, on, um, uh, as a president of the condo. And you have to learn how to deal with different people. People have different personalities. 
you have to get to know them. You have to find out uh, what is it uh, that uh, that is interesting about them. What is it uh, that they want? Uh, what their problems are, and uh, you have to deal with different personalities. Uh, not only the people you live with, but uh, also the people who are on the board with you. Uh, you have to find out. Um, you have to find a way to work with people. Uh, yes, um, you have goals, you have agendas, you have things you want to accomplish, but you can't do any of that without other people. So you have to find a way to work with other people. You have to talk to them. You have to compromise um, in order to to accomplish your goals. So this is the whole crux of the say it skillfully. So why don't you share with listeners, there must be some scenario where someone came to you with something and I'm curious how you skillfully, you know, diffused it or came up with a win-win resolution. I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've had situations where neighbors have had disputes and uh, it's easy uh, not to do anything about it, but you can't because you have a fiduciary duty. So one of the things that, uh, that I've encouraged is for people to, um, uh, is to get to know each other to have a meeting with, um, with the neighbors and to have them discuss what it is that, uh, that is bothering one or both of them and, and try to resolve it. It's a way to, you know, I do this uh, as a lawyer um, rather than litigation, which is expensive and time consuming. Uh, there's mediation, there's arbitration, there's uh, uh, alternative forms of dispute resolution. And uh, all of that involves people getting into a room, whether it's live or virtual these days, and uh, talking about what the issues are and trying to find common ground on how to resolve it. Uh, Not always possible. It's difficult. Sometimes it's time consuming. But if you make the effort, I think the result uh, speaks for itself and that you're able to uh, resolve the the situation, diffuse uh, the crisis, uh, because we have to find a way to, to move on, uh, to get along and to move on. So I love this. I'm going to double click on this one. Just give us, let's imagine you had two neighbors. Because I love for listeners, part of the value here is hearing the actual words. Like, how would you set it up? You know, neighbor A, neighbor B, as you get rolling. Because that's really the secret sauce. It's easy to talk about. You should do this. People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah Slava, sure, we should do it. Give us some of the words that, that you use. Again, these are words that Slav that work for Slava, not necessarily for anyone else, but I think that would be instructive. Well, uh, the first thing is to um, invite them to, um, uh, to meet. And we have um, a, a wonderful uh, lounge and a wonderful uh, conference room uh, in our building. We can do that, make them feel comfortable, um, not at, put them at ease. Uh, role play, role play. I'm going to push you up because this is what I would do with clients. Role play it. So let's pretend there's two people. How would you, what would you say? You mean, uh, role play two, it. Yeah. two people, uh, who have a conflict, uh, two yeah. neighbors. Yeah. Imagine you're in the room with them now. You know, they've just walked in the room. You've invited them and I talk it through. Well, I would first welcome them. Uh, thank them for, for taking the time to do this. Uh, I would explain that, uh, what the situation is. And that uh, we're here to try to uh, to resolve it, and I would ask uh, each one of them to um, uh, to say what uh, what's on their mind, uh, what the problem is. Uh, let them uh, start a conversation between them, and then 
um, obviously intervene to try to move it along or suggest a possible resolution. Uh, but uh, basically the goal is to, uh, is to have them talk to each other. Um, sometimes you'll be surprised. Uh, they may come up with a solution that I haven't thought of, but that's, uh, that's the benefit of, uh, of, of this process is that uh, people may resolve their own problems if you, if you give them the right tools. Yeah, nice. Really. And the opportunity. Yeah. I love your steadiness on that. That's really, I can see that being very effective in the board. Uh, so spend a little bit of time on the um, the Hudson River, the the community part uh, outside ah. the building, because that's fascinating. Well, the whole uh, community is fascinating. I mean, uh, it started uh, as, a, as a vision by uh, Donald Trump. I know his name is not popular in some uh, some quarters, but Without him, Riverside Boulevard would not exist. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be uh, Trump City or Television City with high rises and uh, television studios. The community was up in arms against it. It didn't happen. Uh, they reached a compromise. And instead, uh, the uh, I believe about 20 acres or so of uh, vacant uh, land along, Rivers along the Hudson River which was used as a, um, a, a basically a parking lot for trains uh, to be developed into uh, residential buildings. And uh, in addition to buildings going up along Riverside Boulevard, uh, the vision was for a park um, along the Hudson River. And uh, one of the most, uh, I think, creative solutions uh, for, um, for funding the park and keeping it, uh, maintaining it nice, was to have the buildings uh, form an association, uh, pay dues to the association for the uh, continuing uh, maintenance and upkeep of the park uh, so uh, that uh, there will be funds available uh, to, keep it, uh, to keep it nice and not depend on uh, funding from the city of New York, which is not always predictable. So there's an organization, RESPOA, which, uh, which I joined and then became the president of, uh, which is responsible for maintaining the park. And the park uh, was, uh, uh, is still under development. There's only one section left. Uh, and uh, the section that's left is gonna be uh, an incredible uh, multi-purpose uh, field, athletic field with um, artificial turf for baseball, softball, football, soccer, whatever the sport is, uh, and uh, uh, more pathways uh, to, get, uh, to get down there and to get to the river. Um, so the development of the, uh, of the park has been very important for the neighborhood. Uh, it is, uh, I think, one of the uh, one of the treasures, one of the wonders of living in Riverside Boulevard. Uh, it's wonderful for uh, there's a lot of young families who live on the boulevard. They enjoy spending time uh, in the park with the kids. There's playground for young kids and older kids. Uh, it's also where uh, I work out uh, with my friends. We do a boot camp class every Saturday uh, in the morning. It's just a wonderful place to work out. Um, I, uh, I really encourage, uh, your listeners, uh, to, uh, uh, um, uh, to come to Riverside Boulevard and, uh, and enjoy the park. That's great. I appreciate how you're really pouring yourself 
into your community, Slava. And, you know, I, I know that the world isn't maybe exactly as we would like it to be, but I appreciate how you are putting yourself out there to, 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 to make it better. Um, so let's take this in for a wrap. Well, uh, before we go, um, that's, it's very important. I mean, it, what can one person do to make the world better? Make it better where you live. Most important thing is your community. You got to start with your community. You got to start with your building. You got to start with your neighborhood before you can go on anywhere else. So I, I've tried to, to make uh, my building uh, the best it could be, uh, my neighborhood, um, by getting involved uh, on the, the board of my building and also uh, the organization that maintains the park. Um, that's where you start. You start at home. You make it better at home. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So Slava, do you have any regrets or even a do-over, something that, you know, assuming you're right where you are, anything you would do a little bit differently in your life? You know, not really. I mean, um, it's been a long journey. I don't regret any of it because uh, all of that is it's experiences that, uh, that you build upon. It's like steps uh, to go up. So uh, I really have no regrets. Uh, it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, it's not over yet. I have many, many years left. Uh, but uh, no, I have no regrets. Fantastic. What in your uh, work, you can consider that broadly, include, including your community work, what, um, what's the most fulfilling thing about it for you personally? The most fulfilling thing is, um, I will give credit to my daughter. Uh, when she was uh, in, um, in grade school, uh, she was a, a helper uh, appointed by the teacher along with another student uh, to help other students with problems. Uh, problem solver, to be a problem solver for people. And that's what I do as an attorney. Uh, that's what I try to do uh, uh, on board of my building is to work with people and try to resolve uh, issues and problems. Nice. Now, I know you got your two great kids, no grandkids yet, but what do you wish for those future grandkids? What do I wish? For? I wish for them what I've had and better. I mean, isn't that uh, the American dream is to see your kids uh, have a better life than you have, to have uh, better and more experiences. Uh, just wish for them a world of uh, peace and prosperity. Nice, nice. And um, lastly, what was it like for you to share your journey today? I think it's wonderful. Uh, it, was, um, it was good for me to look back at, uh, at my experiences to see uh, what, uh, what experiences uh, I think would be helpful to, uh, to your listeners. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting to look back and also to look forward. I mean, you asked me, do I have any regrets? Uh, no, because um, I believe in uh, you should look forward uh, a lot more than you look backwards. Yes, you should, uh, you should see, you should, obviously, you have to see where you came from um, and you have to learn from your mistakes. And I, I had my share of mistakes, but I don't regret them because every mistake led, uh, you know, taught me a lesson to, to move on and, and do it better next time. So uh, absolutely no regrets. Uh, just build on your success. Yeah, I love it. 
I appreciate you, Slava, for sharing your journey for you and your family calling the United States home. And I really thank you for daring to dream the American dream and um, doing everything it took uh, to make it come true. So you are a big part of the solution, my friend. If I might be helpful in any way, you let me know and uh, know I'm cheering for you. You take good care. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, I want to thank our mutual friend, Scott, for introducing us. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Shout out to Scott for sure. We'll catch up soon. (laughs) Oh, so wonderful. Okay, folks, my thought for the week, courtesy of Slava, make the world better where you live. Start with your neighborhood, your community, and make it the best it can be. Start at home. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Slava's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too.